The Tennessee Titans are coming off their first season with a losing record in five years under head coach Mike Vrabel. How do they respond in 2023? It's Titans Day, and we're breaking them down from every angle today on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. You are locked on NFL scouting with the Draft Dude, your daily podcast for NFL and college football scouting. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's better than this? It's guys being dudes here on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. We're the Draft Dudes. I'm Joe Marino from Locked On Bills. He's Kyle Krabs from Locked On Dolphins. And we are your NFL experts here with you daily to talk team building across the league on the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast with the Draft Dudes, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We'd like to thank you for making Locked On NFL Scouting your first listen every day. And a big welcome and shout out to our everydayers. You know who you are. Those of you who never miss a single episode, we appreciate y'all being here very, very much. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today to get started. Joe, happy National Kyle bought a new box of pens. Oh. Day to you. This is big. You know me and my pens. I'm I know. You, there's uh, there's probably some new everydayers who are not familiar with your pen <laughs> situation if you'd like to explain it to them because I, I knew what it was and I that's why I set it up. Um. So this has probably been, I would guess, eight to ten years now where I've lived in this world where I only use the same pen until it completely runs out of ink, right? Like I, I start to finish. This is the current active pen right here. Mm. Um. And I have more pens right here so two things with the pen dynamics in me is i i believe in only using one pen until it's completely used but then also i've i've found my pen right i think that's a big thing for people to like hey this is my 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 brand my my making model it's the feel of the pen it's how it feels when you touch it to paper it's what kind of ink it leaves behind So tell tell us about your pen. My, my well, we say no free no, hashtag no free pub on the the show, but yeah. Uh, well, I guess sponsor me if you'd like Pentel uh, for your Energel oh, RTX Pentel, Pentel liquid, guy, huh? liquid gel pen, uh, and I love the colors. Like I I like blue ink, black ink. Can we can can we write in green? Can we write in red and orange and purple? Like yeah, I like to write in in different colors. So yeah, Pilot Two G, excuse right. me, Pilot G Two. It's a good pen. pen. It's a good pen. But it's black. Are you you're a black ink guy yes. or what? Yes, I am. And I also I got myself a little bit of white out because I'm oh, working, on, working on a project right now. So wow, I don't even know yeah. what this project is, but we got yeah, white out, you know it's top secret. Top wow. secret. Yeah. Well wow. soon enough. But uh, yeah, happy national I bought new pens day yesterday. Thank you. Uh, what a what a day. What a day this is. Um so we're gonna talk about the Titans today. Yeah. Yeah. Um and the Titans are a team, Joe, as you mentioned, who endured their Least successful season since 2000. Oh, God, I'm going to do the math off the top of my head here. 18? Is that yeah. factual? first year was 18, yes. Okay. So the, the, their least successful season since 2018, in which Tennessee reached the midway point of the season. They, they won that game against Green Bay in Green Bay, mm-hmm. and they moved to 8-3. and three. Was it 7-3? and three? They, were, they were humming. They were humming. And, uh, of course... Tom Downing has an incident on the way home from that game. And it felt like that point onward for Tennessee, everything, Tom Downing, the the former OC, everything falls off for Tennessee down the stretch. And they 
play the win and in game against Jacksonville week 18. They do not win that football game. So they miss the playoffs for the first time uh, in the past several seasons. They've kind of been the stalwart of the AFC South. Uh, I, I would us uh, to acknowledge that Tennessee from a team building perspective had a definitive six year window of highly competitive football in which they won the division a bunch of times, went to the playoffs a bunch of times. I think that context is very important for Tennessee because we're going to talk about them being a transitional team and a team in transition. And that upheaval is, is going to mean you're going to have to relearn how to crawl before you can walk again. But they had a very successful stretch. They didn't get hot at the right time of the year to, to win in the postseason and, and make a finished run. They did play in an AFC championship game. And, and I think that you know, th- this is kind of the, again, an, a, an example of, Life cycles in the NFL is what the Titans had, how they were able to compete, and now how they have to scale back and retransition and gear back up again. Seven and three to seven and ten. That's how. That's how it finished. Yeah, that that was that's a tough that's a tough finish. Um, Like you mentioned, two different playoff runs. One where they were the number one seed in the playoffs, Mm -hmm. and and a completely different one where they went to the AFC Championship game. I have a lot of criticism towards John Robinson. If you've been listening to this podcast for any any length of time, I, I tend to get that out as often as I possibly can because I think I hold him responsible for not making the necessary moves to get this team over the hump, right? We knew that they were kind of in it. I think you want to be as good as you can for as long as you can, but like there's humps that you have to get over, and I don't think he was ever able to do it, and I think that comes from needs-based drafting. I think that that – oh, big timeout here, I'm right? taking a timeout. Yeah. Wow, Okay. So when you reflect on that ideology, do you think that is more reflective of them not being aggressive enough of them trying to extend the window as long as they can without maximizing the window? Like there's a number of different schools of thought that I think could have been kind of at the crux of this, but ultimately, as you said, it, it, we never crescendoed at the right time. Right. And first of all, they leaned into a, a winning recipe that is a winning recipe, but it's a little bit tougher, right? Not necessarily having elite quarterback play, being your identity being running the football with Derrick Henry and, and playing good defense, right? And I, that certainly got a lot of wins, but not mm-hmm. necessarily the right wins. But I thought John Robinson, whether it was needs-based drafting, whether it was um, not retaining players, right? Just very impulsive, like missing, getting rid of guys, never really like having plans for a lot of players, it would seem. Um, But then also you look at two critical spots, wide receiver and edge rusher. And like how many missed throws at the dartboard did we have that limited this football team when that was what they needed? And so, yeah, I thought like there was a lot of like, oh my gosh, they're moving on from John Robinson. I'm like, celebrate Titans fans because this I think has been the biggest thing that's held you back as an organization um and so we haven't even gotten into the offense or defense because I think that that does set the tone for this conversation because it is a unique situation the way that they've won their path forward the fact that Rand Carthen's now taking over for John mm-hmm. Robinson the success that Mike Vrabel's had I mean Mike Vrabel's one of nine coaches in the entire NFL that have been with their team for five or more seasons right that, that's it like he's been one of the most successful coaches over the last five years. There's only nine that can say that they've been on the same team for five full seasons to this point. Well, um, and last year was their first non-winning season, you know, even extending further back than Mike right. Vrabel since 2015. Case in point. 
They've won at least nine, 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 eleven, twelve. Right. Seven and three. Seven. Yeah. Like what an awesome stretch of consistency to play winning football, but it never graduated to the point other than when you were nine and seven and made a quarterback change midseason. Yeah. And you had this brand new dynamic with Ryan Tannehill versus Marcus Mariota that presented new challenges for teams to have to defend you. And you took advantage of that and then ran that off to 30, 23 wins over the next two seasons, 23 and 10. Well, this podcast has taken on a life of its own. I think the way this is going to wind up working is next segment. It'll be offense. The last segment will be on defense, but before we get there, we're going to tell you about FanDuel. Baseball season is in full swing and there's simply no better place to get in on the action than over at FanDuel which is America's number one sports book because right now new customers can get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just head over to fanduel.com slash locked on to join today. And folks, I love betting over at FanDuel. It's a safe, secure, easy to use app with great promotions every day. And it's not just the baseball that you can get in on. The football's futures bets are so fun. So they have win totals right over under for win totals for each team. Player props, uh, projected rushing stats, receiving stats, passing stats for all the players. There's week one line odds. There's awards that you can get in on if you like those odds. So much fun stuff over at America's number one sportsbook. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash on to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. Okay, Joe. Let's talk about the offense. <laughs> right. Yeah. Kind of did segment three off the top there, which, you know, as you said, the show takes on a life as his own and usually does. Uh, offensively, we started this offseason with some conversation about Derrick Henry potentially being on the trade block. I'm glad they didn't go that route. But I do think what is overly apparent based on the maneuvers, um, where they spent their money, Tennessee, I expect this to continue. The the DNA of what they've been offensively is going to continue to be the ideology of who the Titans are. There's not a lot of dynamic threats on the perimeter to win on the outside. We're going to try to play bully ball. We spent a lot of money in free agency to bring in some new pieces between uh, Andre Dillard and Daniel Brunskill, and they drafted Peter Skronsky with a top 12 pick. Like That's all good infusion for an offensive line that desperately needed it. We still have Ty, uh, Derrick Henry. We drafted Tajay Spears on day two. So we've put ourselves in a position to what we've been is what we are going to continue to be. And I think that well, kind of reaffirms the identity of this football team. But the, the question, of course, is if they have enough counter punches off of the core identity of what they are offensively. Man, look at this offensive line stalwarts ben jones taylor luan uh nate davis gone one off season right swapping them all out for brunskill skoronsky and, and dillard aaron brewer kind of your returning player shifting over to center this year i mean he's such a fascinating guy he's like 275 pounds, Ultimate pounds. Outlier. Yes. Yeah. good for him that he's found a way to stick like he has and then nicholas petit Ferrer is a returning starter at right tackle who was a surprise starter for them last year. Um, and so, you know, I think step one here for this offense is going to be getting this offensive line sorted out and getting them functioning as, as one, because you've got four guys or three guys that are completely new brewer in a, in a new spot. Right. I mean, so there's just a lot to, to unpack. And then you're probably asking yourself questions about some of your depth in 
Jalen Duncan and Dylan Raydunes and like, are they in actual battles to win a job? Is there a path for them? Right. So I think they got to sort out this offensive line. And then from there, obviously we know what Derrick Henry can do. You got to figure out your passing game and your most appealing weapons are your, your two second year players and Traylon Burks and Chigo Aquanku, the tight end, man, we're, we're, we're excited about Chigo. I mean, I know that you were pretty high on brand, him early brand baby. And we, we saw him at shrine. Right. And like, okay. Yeah, all right. Yeah. Different, he's, different he's kind a of, little cat. Bit of a player. He stands out versus some of these other guys out here. Pretty raw guy to come into an offense. that didn't have a whole lot going for him to have the production. He did as a rookie, right? right? That's pretty uncommon for tight end. So, so like he had 32 for four fifty and three touchdowns last year, 14 yards per catch. It's pretty good production for a rookie tight end in this offense. Right? So, but it's fair to look at these weapons collectively and say, well, I mean, you really need those guys to emerge. Even a Kyle Phillips in the slot, like you need that guy to find himself this year because outside of Derrick Henry, I, I don't see proven weapons here. I don't see a lot of, of depth in, in these options in the passing game for Ryan Tannehill, who's like, let's face it, this is probably his last season uh, with the team as they've made recent investments. And in, well, I mean, you can look to Malik Willis, two quarterbacks but in the last two years, Will Levis and, was and picked 33, do. right? I yeah. mean, it's, they traded uh, up for him. Yeah, they came up and got him. Um, I have a quiz question for you. Oh boy. Okay. And, and we're acknowledging that kind of the, the skill group is kind of the, the mystery of this offense. And if they have enough pieces and if they have enough dynamic athleticism to really, uh, kind of have enough counter punches off their run game and, and they're obviously going to play action pass a ton and, and you know keep the pressure off the offensive line to just straight up pass protect. But the receiver, the offensive player, I should say, on Tennessee's offense, who is returning from last year, who caught the most amount of footballs for the team in 2022. Who is it and how many <laughs> catches did they have? Was it Nick Westbrook Akini and he caught 32 passes or something so like that? Your number's very close. There were two that caught 33. All right. Nick caught 25. Okay, so it wasn't him. Derrick Henry and Trey Burks each caught 33 passes last year. They are the returning leading receivers from last year's team. Robert Woods and Austin Hooper were the yeah. departures. Uh, they were top two on the team in targets and top two in the team in, in receptions. Now, obviously, the uh, dynamic play of both of those players and Robert Woods at this stage of his career, I, I don't know that those are great losses, but I think it, it you look at it from the sense of there's 150 targets that have been opened up in this offense from what there was last year, and we really didn't bring anybody in. How well, do you redistribute those 150 targets? How do you maximize those opportunities within your passing game? I, I think is a fascinating question. You, you're hoping Traylon Burks gets as many of them as he possibly can because he only had 54 last year. Yeah, you, you'd like to think he doubles that, right? I mean, that sh- should be a reasonable goal for, for Traylon. But also, I mean, this is a DeAndre Hopkins team. It should be, right? I mean, when you yes. consider... I think did he take he took a visit there, right? I know there's familiarity took, with Rabel. His, his visit came before he went to New England. Right. That's the two visits he's taken, right? I yes. know that he's had conversations with other teams, but showing up for those two opportunities I think says a lot. But I mean, if I'm Tennessee, like get it done. You're not it's maybe there's a little PTSD from the Julio trade. I don't know, but like you're not giving up anything. You're gonna sign him to a deal, but like you've got targets to your point, 150 available. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, even if 50 something of those goes to Burks, which should be a, where you want a He's lot of still those got 100 targets. Yeah. Yeah, man. Send them to hop. Um, and, and 80% of Deandre Hopkins is still at this stage in everybody's group. I don't want to 
necessarily blow this out of proportion, but 80% of what DeAndre Hopkins has been is still probably the best receiver on this team, right? Dude, for sure. For sure. But, Obviously, there's ceiling with some of these guys that you get excited about. But right. yeah, we wa- we watched the tape on Hop. That was we went back when all this stuff we did started. The show. Yeah. We did the show. We and we watched the film. It's like, okay, man, this guy still runs nuanced routes, body control, hands, ball skills are elite. Um, yeah, he's never been a burner. Like, okay, that's not gonna all of a sudden change, but guy can get open and catch the football and com- you know, command good volume of targets and, and be somebody you're happy with. You know, and uh if my memory serves me correctly. There is a player who was somewhat of a non-dynamic, shifty, high football IQ slot player that Ryan Tannehill oh. vibed with quite a bit back in the day. Oh. Mr. Jarvis Landry. Oh. And Nuke at this stage still has more in the tank than like Jarvis had at his peak when Jarvis ran four seven and coming out. <laughs> Man, that's a good point. <laughs> so incredible. Please, Tennessee. Make that happen. I, I would I would really enjoy that addition to this offense for Mike Rabel and the Titans. They could sign Jarvis Landry. <laughs> <laughs> they could, yeah. It's like if you don't get hop, I mean, I, I just think the point needs – I think it's understood that they need more here in terms of, of collective yes. weapons here. Um, how fun is Tajay Spears now on this football team? <clears throat> Man, what a player he is. Excited to see him as the, the counterpunch. To what they have in Henry, you know, so um, not surprised that they went that route either, obviously, with kind of the, the discussion around Derrick Henry and, and him being floated out as a trade candidate. And depending on how this season goes for Tennessee, if if they're not competitive, maybe that's a trade deadline thing that, that you could see revisited if, if they have to be honest. But I think the way that they you, you mentioned just on the offensive line with Lawan and Ben Jones, like the, these long term pillars of what they were moving on from those players. Uh, it, it certainly feels like Derrick Henry's stretch of 350 touches and just being a workhorse. I, I don't doubt he can continue to get it done, but if you look at the life cycle of Tennessee and as they gear up, what are those finances best attributed for, especially with, you know, having some exciting young pieces in the offensive backfield between Hassan Haskins, who I, I think has a little something to him as a power player, and then Tajay Spears is a very different dynamic. And it feels like they've been chasing that kind of player for a couple of years now, too. Yeah, with Darrington Evans, right? They drafted yeah. him third, fourth round, something like yeah, that. Yeah, middle round guy. I think one of the challenges for Derrick Henry this year, it, well, uh, two challenges that are pretty significant. First of all, I would say the adjusting to the offensive line, right? New pieces, right? And I remember, I'll never forget Jonathan Taylor uh, at the Combine uh, he was asked about, you know, what, how do you have such great vision? And he's like, well, he's like, I know my offensive line. I know the way that they're going to take on blocks. I know that they're, the angles that they're going to have, and, and I can work off of them because I can anticipate stylistically how they're going to approach. And obviously you think about Wisconsin, a lot of continuity with the offensive line that Jonathan Taylor was able to really feast there for Derrick Henry. I mean, he's going to have to really adjust to a lot of new pieces this year, which he, you know, to his credit, he did, he did last year and had to do it on, on the fly and still mm-hmm. had a lot of production, but when you combine that with probably a lot of heavy boxes, right? I think I think defenses are going to play Tennessee and say, "Well, okay, we we see right. Derrick Henry's back there. Let's go ahead and take that guy away the best we can and, and see what you can do in terms of throwing the football with Ryan Tannehill and your other weapons." So heavy box counts 
and adjusting to a lot of new blockers is going to be the challenge ahead for King Henry this year. And just a, a final thought as we get ready to transition over to the defensive side of the ball, Joe, but that continued chasing of uh, that different dynamic to pair with Derrick Henry. Do you remember the running back that they signed for like 5 million per season? Yeah, it was uh, Lewis. Deion Lewis. Damian Lewis or Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis from New England. He signed a four year, uh, just short of $20 million, like 19.75 across four years back in 2018. And over the last 10 years, that is the 16th highest APY for a running back to sign with a new team in free agency. Whoa. Man, you're right. They really kind of have been trying to find a guy to go with them. Mm-hmm. This type of player. And so, I think Spears is bro. as good of an option as you're going to have to to get it. Excited to see what that looks like. But just need to have enough counter. Again, counter punches off. That's the big mystery for, for where Tennessee lies offensively. Uh, we are going to do the defensive side of the ball and then come to consensus on uh, one outstanding player uh, for Tennessee here as we bring this episode of Locked On NFL Scouting to a close. Okay, defensively. Here's the good news. I, I think there's a lot to work with mm-hmm. on the defensive side of the football for the Titans. Uh, you think about Jeffrey Simmons and him being as impressive and as disruptive of a player as he has been for the past several seasons. Obviously, that that's, that's a financial commitment that they uh, – it's a no-brainer right mm-hmm. to get to get him locked in and, and have him be a pillar piece. But you have Harold Landry, you have Danico Autry, you have Kevin Byard, the subplot with Byard and whatever the heck happened with asking for a pay cut this offseason or whatever is a different story. Um, you have a couple cornerstones, a couple quality starters. I think Amani Hooker's turned into a really good football player for them. We've got some bodies here. Mm-hmm. Now, I think it's a little bit of an incomplete build but at the end of the day i i like the pillars that we have to work with in in tennessee yeah man you mentioned jeffrey simmons and i give them a lot of credit for the timing of that deal uh getting ahead of uh quinn and williams getting ahead of well all of those defensive tackles right he was first before lawrence right. before oliver we're still waiting on wilkins but chris jones right i mean that's going to be a huge deal that's coming through and i think them coming in and getting that done was was great um for maximizing their their costs, but welcome back Harold Landry, right? I mean, that's going to be such a nice addition to this unit Um, for all the pass rushing edge rushing challenges that they've had over the years. I think Harold Landry has been a stabilizing player for them. And um, obviously he missed all of last year. That'll be big for him to be back. And, you know, given the timing of when that injury occurred, you feel like he should be able to hit the ground running entering this season. And I love Danico Autry, man. Um, They've really, they've really unlocked him. I think he's been a good player, but, the way that he's been able to make an impact being versatile, mm-hmm. defending the run, rushing the passer from multiple alignments, man, he's probably one of the more underrated players in the game. And then Tier Tardu, I think is a, a very serviceable uh, interior defensive lineman as well. And so I, I'd like the, the, that four man situation here in terms of your, you know, your kind of your front. Um, I'm fascinated by the linebackers because Monty Rice, I think played well down the stretch last year. Uh, who they picked fairly high. I mean, I think he, he looks like he could be at least a serviceable starter, but Aziz Al-Shair is, is kind of the X factor for me here with this group because obviously this was, was Cunningham and, and David Long who moved on, um, but 
Al Shahir is a guy that's kind of been stuck in San Francisco, if you will, with Dre Greenlaw and, and of course, Fred Warner. And I think he's going to kind of have the opportunity to be a guy here for them and really patrol this unit and, and have some opportunity uh, behind a pretty good front. And so this front seven, if you will, uh, really intrigues me um, in a lot of ways. And, and I think some of the younger players taking a step, especially at linebacker, will be really critical. Can I, can I give some flowers to Rain Carthon here? Sure. Because you mentioned Al Shayer and being stuck. I think what Sanford or what, what Tennessee did in signing Al Jair and then also Andre Dillard, who was stuck yeah, yeah. in Philadelphia behind Jordan Maitala and Lane Johnson. Yep. Um, I think you're getting players that have a chance to be adequate level starters or potentially better for your football team based on their physical skill sets who didn't necessarily have great opportunities to showcase themselves. And maybe when those dollars came in specifically on the Dillard deal, everybody's eyes got a little wide and said like, Oh wow. Like they paid him a pretty good amount of money. They very clearly think that's a starting caliber player. But when you look at it through the lens of what Bobby O'Karrick, got at $10 million per season to sign, obviously a different player, different bill, but, and what Mike McGlinchey got to sign in free agency. I mean, they, they got way more, per season for players who have some ceiling. And I think with an opportunity, have an opportunity to, if they both live up to their potential, we're going to get to this time next year. We're going to say, yeah, these are really team friendly deals for Tennessee for the market value, which they paid to get the players in the building. Kind of continuing on the strengths of this defense. I mean, you mentioned Bayard and hooker. That's one of the better safety tandems in the entire NFL. Right. I mean, really, really good, but also some players at corner that I like in Roger McCreary. I mean, how good was he as a rookie? They bring in Sean Murphy bunting. Elijah Molding comes back off of injury from last year. Who's had a lot of promise as a rookie. Christian Fulton, who I think has established himself as a starter. You know, I think that's collectively in the secondary, a, a reasonable amount of talent to work with. So like you mentioned here, as we shifted over to the defensive side of the football, I think there's just a lot more to like and uh, allows them to be formidable. And I think that helps take some of the pressure off of uh, the offensive side where we think there could be more struggles. My most eye-opening statistic for Tennessee defensively last year is they allowed five more points this year than they did the previous season, 359 to 354. And yet in 2022, they were 14th in scoring defenses compared to sixth wow. in 2021 wow. based off a of five-point difference. Now they were also minus 61 in point differential versus plus 65 because they couldn't crack 300 points scored across 17 games last year but 14th in scoring defense, but only five points more than a top six scoring defense the previous season. And I, and without I, Harold Landry, right. Without Harold Landry. So it, yeah, less turnover on the defensive side of the football as well. So yeah. I think that's what you want to lean into. You want to run the football and play good defense. I think that's kind of your recipe, but obviously I'd like to see this team evolve with the passing game. And who knows, maybe Will Levis will be their guy. I mean, I, I like Will Levis. There's a, a modest investment, right? I mean, was pick 33, something like that. Like it's, I think there's a lot, a, a big difference between being pick 33 and being like, they could have picked him at where they picked Skaronsky, like 11 or 12, 12. something like that. Yeah. You know, I think that changes the expectation and allows him to kind of have an onboarding year and, and kind of we'll see. Uh, but I hope that, 
they get some answers with their weapons and their offensive line this year and they can add to it and you know expedite the transition right i mean it's it's the afc south jacksonville looks pretty good but i mean even tennessee had to lose their last seven games right for that to happen right? right like Maybe it's not, it's a transition, but this isn't like some of the other conversations we've had for for teams in transition. And, and, you know, I think the challenge for them is, is finding those pieces amidst the final stages of who your pillars were before. And, you know, namely in the backfield and Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry, you know, those have been established effective starters, you know, with Henry, one of the best backs in the game and Tannehill, when they had complimentary football, yeah, you know he was capable of being a highly effective complementary quarterback. Um, but how do you build that runway? How how do you take on that runway? Now I appreciate the effort that they made the last two years to put themselves in position and acquire quarterbacks to to swing the bat. Obviously, the Malik Willis acquisition doesn't look great right now. Um, I don't think there was any world in which he probably should have started games last year, uh, but. You know, the, the circumstances for the way the season played out for Tennessee kind of you force him to go out there and take a look at what he's got. And obviously they didn't like enough of what they saw and, and they shouldn't have. He didn't play particularly well. So um, that's the Titans. Any parting thoughts? Joe? Yeah, I, I do have a parting thought. That stadium looks sick. Yes, it does. <laughs> 2026 yes, no, 2027 is when yeah. it opens, man. Not soon enough is when it opens. Brother, I I. Dude, like that was, we've seen a lot of new stadiums come through in the NFL. This is one that I'm like, oh my God, I got to see it. I got to get out there. That's so, close for you. Close enough. In 2020, 2027, right. we, we're going to be there at some and point. Listen, the Wilmington Airport now flies Avello Airlines directly to Nashville. I can go for Ooh. like 40 bucks. Wow. Draft yeah. dudes, the draft dudes take uh, Nashville. Nashville. Yeah, see, we'll see in 2027. It's like the 2019 draft, right? Like do it all yeah, over again. We will. We all will. Right. Well, that does it for today's episode of Locked On NFL Scouting. I'm Kyle Krabs. He is Joe Marino. Joe, tomorrow on the show, we have the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Tampa Bay, yes. Tampa Bay. Baker Mayfield's Tampa Bay Buccaneers are next. And then we have the Arizona Cardinals and the New Orleans Saints to bring all 32 teams to a close. Joe, this is our last week for the scouting of the 2023 team X series. It's been been fun, been been a lot of fun. It's cool seeing what fan bases show up for their teams. If you are a team that is coming up, make sure you show up for your team, but keep it locked in on a daily basis because it is your team every day. You can find us on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. I'm Kyle Krabs. He's Joe Mario, and we are out of here. Peace.